I'm Heather. And I'm Corey. And this is Movie Shelf, where we talk about movies, movie trivia, and just about anything related to pop culture. We're glad you're here. In today's episode, we're talking about the new DC movie, Aquaman. We'll also chat about some upcoming movies we're interested in, our picks of the week, and we'll, of course, enjoy a side of bacon. So, Corey, tell us what Aquaman is about. Okay, so for those of you who've seen Justice League, this does follow the story of Aquaman or Arthur Curry, who is a half-Atlantean, half-human child. I guess from royalty... Like all like a god or no? Not a demigod, because they're not gods in okay. Atlantis. <laughs> but uh, he is half-royalty from the Atlantis side and just a commoner lighthouse keeper from his human side. Mm-hmm. And he's an illegitimate child, I guess you could say, from the Atlantean <laughs> side. Scandalous. And he has a half-brother who's full Atlantean, who is king of one of the kingdoms of Atlantis. So in the story, you have Atlantis, which was this massive kingdom that has fallen and somehow breaks up into seven smaller kingdoms. And his half-brother, Orm, is king of one of those kingdoms, but he wants to be king of all the kingdoms and wage war against the surface dwellers, a.k.a. us. Yeah, they're they're not fans of humans, you know. We, no. we litter too much. Yeah, we litter their oceans too much. You know, too nuclear, much fill their oceans with nuclear weapons and submarines and waste byproducts and what have you. <laughs> right. So, so what I'm hearing is that Aquaman is the story of Arthur Curry, who, as you said, half Atlantean, half human. But what's going on? Does he have to come and reclaim his throne or claim his throne? Is that how it's going? Well, yeah. Not all the Atlanteans wants to wage war against the humans. So there are some members of the kingdom which are trying to get Arthur to claim his birthright. Because he is the firstborn, Mm. although illegitimately, of the previous queen. And trying to get him to gather the seven kingdoms together into bring peace and not waste this war. So he'd be a good mediator, a good peacemaker between the Atlantis world and the surface dwellers. As And who better since he's a child of both? Yes. All right. So now we're going to chat a little bit about who's in the movie. And so first off... Well, before we get into the actors, I want to do a quick shout out to the director of this movie, which is James Wan. Yes. Who I became a huge fan of with the first Insidious movie. Yeah. Which I adore as far as suspense movie goes. It's definitely up there with one of my favorites. It's extremely well made, well written, good story and so forth. And, you know, this is a, a very much bigger production for a director like him. Because he's normally smaller scope, not so much big budget, special effects type movies. So he's a little bit of his element here, but I think he handles it very well. Yeah, he's, um, in addition to Insidious, um, he basically started the whole Saw saga or series. He did the first Saw as the yeah, director. He only directed the first one. Yeah, so. he's produced all the others, though. <laughs> so his hands are still in it, and it's, you know, his imagination. You know, he's very creative. Insidious is so great. Um, both of them, the, the, or actually there's a, a few more than both, but I think he's done the first two as far as directing. Um, but I, I classify them as spooky. Um, you know, they're not too over the top. They're not gory or anything like that but they are spooky haunted house feeling type movies and then he also did the conjuring movies which i really like so and then 
I think that his first, like, at least from what I can tell, his first, oh, you know, moving away a little bit from this, you know, horror type of scenario of films was Furious 7. Um, the so, Fast and the Furious. Yes, so, okay. he did do the last one. Yeah. And then, of course, now we have Aquaman. Which, interestingly, with Insidious and with the... Conjuring. Conjuring movies, of course, he already has a pretty good partnership with... Patrick Wilson. Yes, Patrick Who has Wilson. a key role in this movie as well. Yes. So, One of your favorite actors. Yes. I, for whatever reason, seem to really like Patrick Wilson. Um, I've liked him for quite some time, but I really like him in, I think, more so The Conjuring even more than Insidious. Um, but I, de- I definitely like him in both those movies. And yeah, he was, is it King Orm? Is that who yes. he played? So I thought he did a really good job um, as King Orm, you know, being kind of this malicious conniving kind of person although yes because i think his goal was to be ocean master i think is what it was something something (laughs) of that title king wasn't enough whoever the the king of the kings is as far as the (laughs) ocean worlds go i think though the only i kind of wanted him to maybe be a little darker i think that was my only thing i kind of wanted to see him i felt like he teetered a little bit too much on being political and i wanted him to just be a little bit more darker um, if if that makes sense, hopefully that makes sense. Well, even though he had, aside from his wanting to wage war against the surface dwellers, he he still wanted to be a legitimate king. I mm-hmm. feel so he doesn't wanted to get the role underhandedly. I guess. You Are would you say. sure? I mean, there were some underhanded things he did. Just to get his brother out of the way. I think. Nope, nope. Even nope. before then. <laughs> Apparently you're not remembering stuff. I need another viewing. Okay. Yes. And then, of course, we, I think, have yet to mention that Aquaman was played by Jason Momoa. And he did a fabulous job. And my first introduction, I think, for Jason Momoa was... Let me guess. Game of Thrones? Yes. <laughs> and was it is he Draco or... I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not Dracula. <laughs> I didn't say Dracula. Draco. <laughs> um, the horse king or something. And so... And, of course, I know, like, you know, he's married to Lisa Bonet. And then they... And, you know, things like that. He's got two babies. He's a happy-go-lucky guy. Super happy. Um, in fact, my one of my co-workers actually got to meet him in one of her Comic-Con adventures and was quick to say that he was a very nice gentleman. Oh, wow. But that was me. Yeah. And then, so, and I think you were excited about... This character, um, I think his, I forgot what his character name was, but Willem Dafoe was also in the film. Yes. Um, kind of, I guess, the... Under the cover of Mentor. Yeah, the Mentor, <laughs> there we go. Um, and a, for... a loyal follower of the, the previous queen yes. of Atlantis. And then, of course, this was a, a big role for Amber Heard. Yes. Um, and I know you always like to, and she played Mira, and I know you always like to tell me about or you know tell people about when she was approached for the role and she's like, no, I don't want to be the damsel in distress. Yes. And, oh, no, no, this is not a damsel, damsel in distress role. This is a heroine role. So, yes. oh, okay. <laughs> um, which I think she did a really good job. I felt like she was a very strong character. And Nicole Kidman played, yes. um, of course, Queen Arthur Kirk. Yes. And she played Arthur Curry's mom. So she's the Atlantis mom. Um, And again, she was also a very strong character. I was very impressed with her performance. And then I'm going to butcher his name. And so I apologize to the world. But I think it's Tamira Morrison played Arthur Curry's dad. So Jimmy Jason Momoa's dad in the movie. Um, Or the lighthouse keeper. Yes. And when we were kind of looking him up, 
I thought he looked familiar, and I feel like we've seen plenty of copies of him because he was <laughs> Jango Fett. Jango Fett from Star Wars. <laughs> yes, so he was the, the clone. The, the, the master copy of all the clones. Yes, so we definitely have seen his likeness. All right, so I think we've we've given a little bit of tidbits of things we've liked, but I think for me, all in all, the movie was fun. It was. It had lots of eye candy. It was beautiful. For anyone that likes anything about being under the water, it's a gorgeous film. Oh yes, I mean the underwater sceneries, the even the the, the fantasy sights in the water, the underwater creatures. They they really did that top notch. The sharks were great, <laughs> even if they were on the bad side sometimes. Heather is a fan of sharks. Yeah, I thought I thought the film was maybe a not a, a little slow. I guess perhaps um, I felt like there was. A lot of buildup to one of my favorite parts, which is when they got to the deep sea area, kind of where you see all the, um, like the angler fish would be down there, that type of area. And, um, cause all of a sudden it got super exciting. Like it was, it was almost that insidious feel or, you know, it got a little spookier, Ooh. you know? Yeah. And, and I was like, oh, well, where was this part? You know, well, the first part of the film was definitely fun. We got this little bit of, you know, darkness, which I, of course, really liked. Um, so I wanted a little bit more of that. Well, okay. So the here's here's what my main hangup, I guess, with Aquaman. Okay. And it's not on the same level as this movie I'm going to compare it to. But Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> okay. okay. I mean, the scenery is beautiful. Has lots of awesome action. But when you step back and just take a look at the overall storyline, you're like, when you analyze the overall storyline, it's like, okay, so we have two brothers trying to re trying to kill their reincarnated mom. That, that's pretty much it. Not a lot of story there. <laughs> All right. So how are you bringing that to Aquaman here? Okay. Now, again, I like Aquaman a lot more than Jupiter Sending. I thought that was a terrible movie. <laughs> so basically, you have a word where... Aquaman has a claim to the throne, yes. not the claim, but he has to win a fight. He has against, a firstborn claim. <laughs> yeah, although illegitimate as far as they're concerned. <laughs> but he has to win a fight against his half-brother to take the throne. Okay. And that's kind of basically it as far as the story goes. So, I mean, there, there, there's, there is more to the story, of course, but on the overall scope of it, it's like, that's all? <laughs> but one nice, thing, one nice thing you do see, though, is... And you've heard me probably talk about this before. I think we even talked about it in The Mule, was that there's growth. In The Mule, I said there was no growth. I felt like there was no growth in the character. In Aquaman, there's growth in the character. Because part of it is, not only does he need to be able to overthrow his brother so that he can take the throne, but he has to want to. And, you know, he starts out not wanting anything to do with what... He feels as a place that took away his mom. That almost outcasted him. Yeah. And pretty much. So he's said, like, I have nothing to do with that side of my life. I, I, I'd be just fine living my life, not going there. Mm-hmm. But some members of that kingdom pleased with him to take his claim to prevent a war. Yeah, because before then, all you see him is using powers, his Atlantean yeah. powers, to save humanity. And be, be a little... Hero for the humans. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you do at least see that growth in the character, which I think is helpful. So he does do it to ultimately save the, the human world. I yeah, because otherwise, you know, King, uh, King Orm is out for those humans. Those darn plastic trash littering humans. And here's another little splinter that a problem I have with Aquaman. The One of the main villains just seems really forced to be written into the movie. 
And that is the the who becomes the iconic villain of Black Manta. <laughs> yeah, we we did have a lot of problems with this guy. I don't know if you had the same that I, along with my brothers, but watching him, I just saw a Power Rangers villain. I mean, he they needed. I think they still needed to work on his costume. It did not look good. And other than being a hired henchman for King Orm, he almost has very little to do with the story. But he is an iconic DC villain. He's an iconic Justice League villain, although most associated with Aquaman. So I understand the need to try and squeeze him in there, if you would. But it, it was not done very well, I feel mm-hmm. like. Yeah, it was. I think it's maybe the attention that they gave to him, they could have instead taken to make Orem perhaps darker um, and leave out the Black Manta part. You know what I mean? Possibly. Um, or or, or, or vice versa, give, give, more give him Manta. a little bit more of a backstory of involvement somehow. Yeah. Um, so we had also mentioned that, that you know, the movie is beautiful. Um, and one also thing that I liked was it did have some really strong editing. There were a couple of kind of those one-take type of fight scenes, which were definitely fun, which I just enjoy watching sometimes. Yeah, Heather is a fan of those <laughs> long, one-shot action scenes. <laughs> yeah. I think probably one of the longest I've seen was when we watched Atomic Blonde. and Oh, which, goodness. Well, yes. I didn't really like that movie, mainly because I found it a bit confusing. The fight scene with her in that uh, like apartment or something. Yeah, or hotel or whatever. Yeah. It was just really cool to watch. I was like, yes. oh my goodness, we are going through floors, we are going in and out, and we are all in one take. Yes, that um, was amazing. Or at least seemingly shot. all in one take. Yes. So I they, they may have it. done a rope trick here and there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and for those that you don't know, he's referencing, he's referencing Alfred Hitchcock's rope. Which is seemingly done all one take, but... Yeah, the entire movie. In close scrutiny, you can tell where there was a break. But yeah. they try to hide that break very well. But even still, for, you know, about a two-hour yes. movie, there might be three or something. Yeah, at least three, yeah, probably <laughs> three takes, which it's, is still It's pretty amazing, because Alfred Hitchcock is pretty darn amazing. Okay, Corey. Yes? <laughs> What's the verdict? Does it make the shelf or not? Uh, I will admit, it'll probably make my biased shelf. I, I like that answer. Um, I my, my answer is sure. <laughs> and okay. it's mainly because it may not have been a wow movie. It was definitely fun. I'm yeah. sure once it hits TV, it's going to be on all the time because that's what you do. Well, here's my question. If Justice League makes the shelf, this is definitely going to make the shelf because it's probably a better movie than Justice League. <laughs> um, but yeah, and that's what I was leaning toward, that the movie will be <laughs> in good company with our other DC movies. It's definitely not Wonder Woman, by far. Although it has made more money than Wonder Woman now, interestingly enough. That doesn't even seem possible. But um, (laughs) (laughs) we even saw Wonder Woman twice in the theater. I know. Um, It's definitely not Wonder Woman, um, but it was fun. I'm ready. I'm I'm looking forward to the next one. Um, It looked like... The actors had fun with the movie. Definitely. Um, it looked like Jason Momoa just had a really good time. And um, I, I did want to preface, as we were walking out of the theater, not preface, I wanted to add that as we were walking out of the theater, I said that it's kind of funny because it's almost like you've got this action-packed Aquaman bookended with an intro and an outro of a Nicholas Sparks story. <laughs> yeah, two minutes on each end of, of a Nicholas Sparks feel. Yeah, I'm going to call it the lighthouse keeper. <laughs> That's the the um, the end in the or the... Prologue and epilogue, or Nicholas Sparks, it seems. And now it's time for our picks of the week. All right, so we'll start with you, Corey. What's your pick of the week? 
For the okay, so I'm going off the theme of the beautifulness of Aquaman. Okay. I'm going to flash back to Avatar. Ah. Not to get anything confused with other movies, but with James Cameron's Avatar. Yes. <laughs> I call this, like, live-action Fern Gully. But... <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, that was an amazing movie. It was absolutely beautiful. Eye candy galore. Um, I know it was told as, or it was claimed as one of the best movies to ever see in 3D. Um, I didn't get to see in 3D, but you did, and I know you yes. really liked it in 3D. I consider it the second best 3D movie ever made, as far as 3D technology goes. And I am a fan of Sam Worthington. I thought he did a great job. Um Kind of almost in those dual character modes of, you know, him as his human self and him and his avatar. Yes. And then, um, of course, Sigourney Weaver. And um, she is fabulous. Giovanni. And I mispronounce his name all the time. Rubisi, I think, or something like that. Um, He played a a good money-hungry guy. And I'm normally a fan of his, but, yeah, I I just didn't like his role too much in this movie. But uh, I love him as an actor. Michelle Rodriguez played a great, um, I assume she was a Marine. I think they were Marines. She played yes. a great soft-hearted Marine. Um, Pilot. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, Zoe um, Zandania. Yeah. Zoe Zandania uh, did a great job as her, um, I forgot what her, her name was, but um, she did a great job. It was just a, so why is that one kind of your pick of the week? Well, I think I've already said it, the, the similar in the beautiful eye candy aspect of okay. the two movies. Beautiful sceneries, amazing-looking creatures. Although, on you know, with Aquaman, we've got real creatures, but the way they were portrayed underwater is just just breathtaking. Yeah, um, and I think it was interesting because when we walked out of, um, you know, we were done with the movie, walked out of the theater, chatting with my brothers, they were quick to reference Avatar as well. And I think plotline, it's really nothing the same, but yeah, it's just that. The beauty, as you've yes. been, as you've mentioned. All right, so my pick of the week, I'm going animated, and I'm going with Atlantis: The Lost Empire. Ah, uh, the Disney movie. The Disney movie, not a musical though. <laughs> um, I think it just automatically makes your shelf for that purpose. Um, and so this is it's Michael J. Fox as the main character. James Garner's in there. I think even Leonard, Leonard Nimoy's in there. Yes. As um, king of Atlantis. Yeah, and there's there's other fun voices, and I can't remember them all, um, but it's this... I think it takes place in, I want to see, like the 20s, 1920s oh, or so. I don't so. have it's, that good of a memory of the It's movie. kind of in that steampunk era. Yeah. Um, so get that vibe in there. And you have these earth dwellers, I guess, or surface dwellers, I guess. Um, and they go down to search for Atlantis, the lost empire. They find it. There's, of course, there's a war or something, you know, problem to fix. They, you know, and then they have to, get, of course, get back to the surface. Um, but one thing I thought was really cool, watching the Aquaman movie, um, some of their vehicles, I guess you might want to say, little oh, boats yes. and okay. stuff, really you. reminded me of what we saw in the animated Atlantis movie. Um, and also in the Atlantis movie, there's they, their tattoos have, like... There are other markings, I guess, have significance as well. And it just, it was kind of interesting to see some of that similarity. So I thought, I don't know if there was an inspiration for James Wan or not, but I felt it had a similar vibe. Well, you know, now that you mentioned that, I guess the two movies have more similar than I initially thought. Yeah. Interesting. So I definitely recommend Atlantis. I did look it up. It doesn't, it's not really strong on, you know, Rotten Tomatoes and stuff, but we really liked it. Our daughter (laughs) adores it. Um, In fact, I saw that it was on Netflix right now, so we might want to go check it out again. It's been a while since we've seen it. 
So, some of the previews that we saw before Aquaman. Now, some of these previews we mentioned in earlier podcasts, because, you know, the previews are, are being repeated, but we've already mentioned the kid who would be king and Godzilla King of Marchers. But uh, one of the ones that was definitely new in this one is Men in Black International. Yes. So, I don't know about you, Corey. I think, I think you are. But I definitely like the Men in Black movies. Um, actually, this, the third one was just a lot of fun, I think, because yes. it went back in time. and Plus, the guy who plays the villain, I always like that guy. Although his name is escaping me for the moment. Um, but anyway, so Men in Black International stars Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth. Interestingly, we just saw them in Thor Ragnarok together. Yes. She's, you know, of course, Chris Hemsworth is Thor, and then she is a Valkyrie, um, the, the kind of the renegade Valkyrie. And as we suspect, may suspect for a limited time in the movie, Liam Neeson. <laughs> yes, Liam Neeson's in it, um, as well as Emma Thompson. She's reprising her role, it yes. looks like, from the, that we saw in the last Men in Black movie. So, one nice thing is that it's there's the little Easter eggs, I guess you could say, the ties between this one to the previous movies. So it's definitely a continuation, I guess you might want to say. Well, yeah, it looks like that the first three movies were all based on their United States base. Yes. Or, you know, base of operations. Now we're going to the European bases, base we of operations the for, yes, for Men in Black. So it looks a lot of fun. Um I think there will be a, plenty of tongue-in-cheek type of moments in there. I hope it's clever. I, there's a lot of things I hope for it. I didn't necessarily fully grasp that from the previews, but I'm, I hope it'll be fun. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. And I think I think I heard a glimmer of some Danny Elfman music in it, so of course that makes me happy. Ooh, interesting. We'll see. At least maybe it's just the regular theme music. All right, so what else was another movie that you, we saw? Pet Cemetery. Yeah. We haven't talked about that one yet. I'm not too sure if I'm. Well, you haven't even seen the original, to... have you? No, I have not seen the original. You you've, you've haven't really seen a lot of these Stephen King movies. Yeah, um, again, I grew up in a yeah. sheltered life as a child, <laughs> obscured from <laughs> R and many PG 13 movies. <laughs> well, this one definitely looks like it is decades beyond the original Pet Cemetery. Um, I still get a kick when I've seen the, when you think about the original Pet Cemetery, the way that baby looked, it was just kind of funny, but still creepy, the original. And so this one, I think you'll see a lot of, a lot of the digital and the special effects, you know, are so much stronger. Um, so everything will definitely look real. My biggest thing is watching the, um, the trailer. It was so loud. Like, and maybe that was just for the trailer, but the scene where the truck drives by and that becomes, that's, that's very much a foreshadow. And so it was just like, Ooh, that itself was scary to me. So I'm like, is this going to be a loud movie? I know that sounds silly, but anyway, it looks like it should be good as the element of a horror movie. Hopefully it will serve the story very well. Whereas Um, I don't like horror movies that make sense. (laughs) (laughs) Which is one of the things I love about Insidious. It's a horror movie that... Logically makes sense when you when you think about it on well, how you know, everything, I mean, everything works. Cemetery, you, you know, something dies and like, you go bury it in an ancient sacred burial ground that it can come back from, and <laughs> but it doesn't always come back the way you think. Um, so I think that's the idea. Although I have not seen Pet Cemetery, one of the lines that I love from Justice League is when the Flash goes, "Oh no, it's Pet Cemetery Superman." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so another trailer we saw with this movie is The Upside. 
And this looks like it'll be, you know, a tug on the heartstrings, fun movie. But yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it definitely looks like it has a lot of fun. It's Brian Cranston, who is just so wonderful. I mean, he is forever Walter White now. Um, I miss the initial Malcolm in the Middle Brian Cranston, and I pretty <laughs> much just did a cannonball dive in with Walter White and him. Yes. Um, but he is just so much fun. And, um, and then Kevin Hart is in it as well. And Nicole Kidman, I believe, is also in there. I think she's kind of a secretary person. I'm okay. not inventing that. But anyway, um, Brian Cranston seems to be, um, he's paralyzed, so he's... From the neck down, looks yeah. like. Yeah. So he's pretty much bedridden or wheelchair bound. Um, and Kevin Hart comes in to to be his Go to physical <laughs> assistant, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so it looks like, you know, their personalities, there might be clashing moments or just awakening moments um but it definitely looks like it'll be fun um and then the other trailer we had seen uh, yeah I don't, I, I don't know what to think of this <laughs> you're a little skeptical <laughs> very skeptical um I, I would imagine if you were especially a 90s kid but if you were a kiddo that a millennial kid maybe yeah yeah I mean, like i said especially a 90s kid um because you know even my friends you know we're in this world. Yeah, I guess it was definitely a 90s thing. <laughs> um, I babysat lots of children that were also watching the cartoons. But anyway, if you were a 90s kid and definitely into Pokemon, yes. even beyond what we can do now with Pokemon, um, I would imagine you're probably very excited for this movie. Detective Pikachu. So Pikachu, of course, is the, uh, you know, Pikachu's even on the Macy's Parade. I mean, he is the iconic Pokemon in my book. Even if you know nothing of po- Pokemon, you know Pikachu. And now it says something other than Pikachu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least mentally, I yeah. guess. <laughs> I'm not sure how that's all working yet, but... So, it that's about, I guess, what it is. It looks like you have Pikachu kind of bonding with this person. I don't know if we know who this person is yet. Um, so, this definitely takes place in the world of Pokemons or yes. everywhere. And um, and they have to work together to, in the trailer it looks like, to solve the mystery of where the, the kid's dad is or the guy's dad is. Um, but Pikachu is voiced by Ryan Reynolds, so he alone is just kind of fun. So hopefully it'll just be fun. Yeah, hopefully it'll, it'll do credit to it and not in a credit as a Green Lantern or <laughs> Deadpool via Wolverine movie. <laughs> yeah, we can. Yeah. Deadpool is great, but yeah, he's referencing the Wolverine movie that it's completely demolished <laughs> the the Deadpool character. Yeah, so all right, so those are some movies that are on our radar. Um, some we're a little bit more excited for than others, but they're definitely on our radar. And now it's time for a side of bacon. Oh, okay. For me, this one was tough because again, we're doing. Reese Afonso to Gerard Butler, and in my mind, you know, I only know know him in like three movies. <laughs> I only had like three movies to work from to to make this connection. But but let's let's start with you, Heather, on this one. Well, speaking of three movies, that is what I got my down to. You know, short of me trying to go on the you know internet to find a better connection, I got it in three movies. So I have Gerard Butler, who was in Olympus Has Fallen. Which okay. I was going to mix up with White House Down, but it's falling. <laughs> yeah, kind of crazy to have you know two movies pretty much have almost the same plot. Oh, we we, we have a history of that though. Yeah, you know, cinema movies coming at the same time. Almost as so they're competing over plot thoughts or yeah. So anyway, so Gerard Butler to Aaron Eckhart in Olympus Has Fallen. Okay, and then um, Aaron Eckhart 
to Julia Roberts in Aaron Brockovich. I love that movie. Yes, that is one you watch all the time. And then Julia Roberts to Reese Ifant uh-huh. in um, Notting Hill. Which I have not seen. <laughs> so I cannot use that one. But there you go. Three movies. What okay. do you have? Well, when I was first doing this, I, ha- I had to use two Spider-Man movies and a Stan Lee cameo Ooh, at first. <laughs> I was able to weed out the Stan Lee cameo. But yeah, it's, still, it's okay. So we have... Reese Afons to Andrew Garfield in The Amazing Spider-Man. Okay. Where he plays Arctic Connor. And then Andrew Garfield to Jamie Foxx in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Okay. Where he plays Electro. And then we have one of my favorite movies, which is linking Jamie Foxx to Gerard Butler in Law Abiding Citizen. Which is a, a very good movie where Gerard Butler plays this mastermind engineer and how society betrays him and he... Turns into, I guess you could say, a comic book villain, but uh, a movie that I that I love. Yes, he kind of takes the law into his own hands. Oh, by far. <laughs> yeah, he's not really a law-abiding citizen. He started out that way, though, <sighs> yeah. until society did him wrong. All right, Corey, who's your bacon for this week? Okay, so since one of our previews was Men in Black International, I'm going to go a little bit old school with Men in Black and pick Will Smith. Okay. I decided to go with... Um, an inspiration from my um, pick of the week, Atlantis. So I'm going with Michael J. Fox. Ooh. So kind of fun. Yeah. Michael J. Fox to Will Smith. That should be very doable, though. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. I imagine it would be. All right. So for this week, we've got Michael J. Fox to Will Smith. Yes. All right. Thanks for listening to Movie Shelf. And if you could, hit that subscribe and share it with your friends. All right, so we'll catch you next time, you guys. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.